This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This week, we are finishing out our Halloween saga. This will be the third Halloween-themed episode. It is Mark's pick, so we are going to look into Beetlejuice to see if our nostalgia is warranted. So, Mark, you brought this forward. Do you have a 60-second synopsis? I do. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad you prepared for this thing. No, nope, I definitely do. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I'll give you a countdown in three, two, one, go. Beetlejuice begins by introducing us to the Maitlands, who shortly get in a car crash. Suddenly, back in their house, they soon discover they have died. Several months have passed, and their house has been sold. After several failed attempts to to scare away the new owners, the Maitlands travel to the Netherworld in search of a solution. Their caseworker, Juno, offers little help other than advising them not to enlist the help of Beetlejuice. When their final effort to oust the new family fails, they decide Beetlejuice is their only hope. When he harms and nearly kills the Dietzes, the Maitlands send him away again, but he won't give up. He plots to marry the Dietzes' daughter, Lydia, to escape the afterlife forever. When Lydia finally calls for him, chaos ensues, but the Maitlands help defeat him by bringing a striped worm from Limbo? In the end, the ghosts learn to live happily with the new homeowners and even help Lydia with her schoolwork. They all live, or uh, die, or whatever, happily ever after. Wow. Congratulations. Even with all the stuttering and stopping you did, you still had upwards of six seconds remaining. There it is. That's the end of the timer. So let's go into long form. What did you guys see as adults that you may have missed as children? They have a foreshadowing dog. They do. Yes, I have a note on this dog, which is bad dog, do not kill our main characters. Because that dog causes their death and And then then actively kills them. (laughs) But they they have the foreshadow because when they come into town, they almost hit the dog too. And they survive that one and they don't survive the second. So that dog is just a menace. Yeah, maybe he was purposely actually trying to kill them. Then he was a real cute dog, though. Um, That is true. So I forget because I I didn't even write this down, and it just occurred to me. But when they drive into town, I know he drives up, and like there's a bunch of windows right there that all say Maitland on them. Yeah. So what does he do? He owns the hardware store. Okay, that's all it is. My first thought when I watched through it was like, oh, it's the town of Maitland. And then I found out it was their (laughs) name later. And I'm like, oh, wait, what? (laughs) Does it ever say how that really annoying woman is related to them? Because she says Uh, she's family. Yeah, she did say family. That's what I was wondering. When when, um, Lydia asks what happened to the previous owner she's like oh they okay. were family i thought she I, was yeah i uh, assume davis's sister okay because i had i assumed thought she was related to gina whatever her name was, is in the movie <laughs> that she Barbara. was 
um, like just a friend who thought that she was more than a friend and kind of family, like the family that you find. Uh, because in the beginning, they argue as to which one of them would have to deal with her. Apparently, she comes to their house a lot, and this is just the wife's turn. I think that's more a thing of it's like some annoying cousin you cannot get rid of, and you're just like, uh, whose turn is it to deal with aunt so-and-so? Is, is she a realtor then? Like, yes. what? So why is she so much because that, that her whole point is oh this house is just too big for just the two of you don't you just want to sell it and move somewhere Which else is super insulting yeah because she it's implied that gina davis can't have kids and she said this house is too big for you i i thought maybe it, it was more of a, a miscarriage because oh, they say okay. later that oh maybe we'll try again and so it was oh. something where it wasn't a definite we can't have kids. It's just something happened that at that moment, this prospect of kids didn't seem like it was happening. Yeah. But you got to imagine that. Yes. Uh, so she's being super insensitive, but oh, yeah, also she's going bad. to get a massive commission on selling their home that they like. Mm -hmm. So she's just the worst friend or family. Maybe she's member. just a really bad realtor. And the only way she can sell houses is if she blackmails her family and friends into letting her sell them for them. Oh, she's a really bad realtor because she has sent their information around to other people yeah. in the country and they're not even trying to sell their home. Although they're dead at that point, so... No, no, no. no. She, she said beforehand. that she she had a deal. Uh, somebody wanted to put up a X amount of dollars while they were living in the home. So she shopped maybe, it around. Maybe there's this whole backstory where someone walked up in the house and be like, I'll give you a million dollars just to flat out sell me. And she's like, this seems like a popular house. I got to use this house now. Sorry, right. cousin so, Barbara. So okay, I, I need this money. I was going to step back to the dog because like I don't know that we really child. described that scene very well. Yeah, go ahead. Give context. So so the Maitlands went to town for something he was picking up from work, I think. Yeah, something for his model village. And he was, as on their way back home, they have to go through a covered bridge. And just as they're entering it, a dog runs across the road in front of them. So they swerve to avoid it and end up driving and getting their car halfway driven off the bridge. And they're balanced there by the dog standing on the other end of a board. And the dog looks at them and then hops off the board and they fall off the bridge and land in the creek slash river, whatever. I guess yes. the thing that I... I suppose it's possible. But it looked to me like this bridge is like maybe 10 feet maximum off of yeah, the ground. Yeah, it's a very I, short I bridge. I wouldn't this. think that that would have killed them necessarily. Agreed. Well, they drowned. Yes. They didn't die from yes. the crash. So it's a very small bridge, which doesn't suggest that it is very deep under it. You're right. I estimated also about 10 feet. So, like, the crash wouldn't kill them. But the river also doesn't look like it's raging yeah. or that they would have trouble getting out of the car. I think that might have been more of a technical issue because I read some trivia where they, like, they had to do some sort of damming to the the creek or whatever to get it even to that level. So maybe it just uh, they didn't have a very good stream <laughs> to work with. Yeah, the only way I can imagine them dying this way would be if, like, their car hits the river, airbags deploy, knocking them out, and then the car slowly sinks. Would they have had like, airbags? If, 
I don't know. But if they were <laughs> conscious, they would survive. Yeah. I, well, and the other thing, maybe if they weren't wearing seatbelts since the car landed upside down, they could have just fallen and snapped their necks. But according to Sarah, they well, drowned. No, they so. I disagree with that. Because uh, as we see in the waiting room, the way people die goes with how they look in the afterlife. And, and apparently, uh, originally, they were supposed to be wet all the time. But it was just uh-huh. uncomfortable and inconvenient <laughs> and wasn't working. And that's the reason why they're not wet all the time, even though they were supposed to be. Yeah, because uh, when we're in that waiting room, there's a guy uh, who is a scuba diver who was bitten by a shark <laughs> who, uh, you know, he's missing the part that the shark bit. I thought but the shark also, was attached to him. Yeah, I thought he the might shark be attached. was still on there. I forget. But also his skin is tinted in yeah. like a, an ocean type color. And I don't know why they would not be as well. I think it's just because since they're the main characters in the waiting room guy, he's in the scene for maybe a couple minutes they're right. most of the movie and all of that mm-hmm. stuff would just be really annoying to deal with the whole movie. Whereas in a five minute scene, well, yeah, you can deal with that. Yeah. You can deal with having a shark attached to your leg. Though that brings us to something I really, really enjoyed about this film that I had kind of forgotten about, though must have appreciated as a kid as well, is all of Tim Burton's, or I forget who wrote the script, but their rules about the afterlife. Yes, the world building in this movie is really great from the handbook to the like the whole government system, waiting room. <laughs> the whole bureaucracy. Bureaucracy yes. of the afterlife. Like, it's really clever. Yeah. So, uh, like, uh, the fact that they have a rule where if you commit suicide, then you have to be a civil servant in the afterlife. Like, that is your punishment. And and I've seen some theories that maybe because she Juno said that Beetlejuice, because we don't know how Beetlejuice died, but a lot of theories no. say that he would have committed suicide because he was originally Juno's assistant. That's correct. So he yeah. would have worked in the office. Mm-hmm. Yep. I could definitely I see that. I saw that same one. Though, as to how he got out of there and is now a, a freelance for hire spirit. I'm not sure. Well, well Juno kicked him out. Well, Ju- she, he left. He was just like, yeah, yeah. Juno he, was said that he went to go but do like, his own thing. There's rules that you have to be a silver servant. How do you leave this thing? Well, he was, it seemed like the receptionist was, though, would want he? to being what? the, he, he still was, serving people in a way by being the bio exorcist so my point is that he is outside of the bureaucracy he should be chained to given the way that he died maybe he had to go hang out with the sandworms for a couple years and (laughs) maybe he he does know how to become a sandworm i will say that like he doesn't even show up until like halfway through this movie. Yeah. I wanted to mention that, yes, because we see him in like little clips or he's advertising his services on TV. He does not have a scene with the Maitlands until like the exact halfway point. And actually, I have always thought that Beetlejuice is actually the least interesting part of this mm-hmm. movie. Michael oh, Keaton does he's a- my least favorite yeah, part. And, and in some ways yeah. he's supposed to. He's supposed to be like this k- kind of this weird horror parody of like this used car salesman personality just yeah obnoxious and gross and awful and everyone hates him and, and michael yes. keaton does a great job like michael keaton is a fantastic actor and he does a great job with his part it's just an unlikable character <laughs> i and, just and remember that there was a cartoon of it also that yeah, i used to see a as a kid and i really that. liked that one and he was he was more the main character in that one i yeah. think and but not that's a what my more <laughs> 
remember about Beetlejuice is the cartoon where he's teaming up with Lydia and he's the hero that's kind of bumbling through his job. In this one, he is obscene. He is just gross to everyone he talks to. He hits on pretty much every woman mm-hmm. he sees. Yeah. Like, he is a gross character. And that's kind of the point where- of the, you don't. He's, he's not like, well, and that's the thing where they keep talking about, we're going to do a sequel, and that gets brought up every few years. I'm like, mm-hmm. as much as I love Michael Keaton, that's not right. the part I want to see. Give me, like, a sitcom where they just hang out in the waiting room. I would want yeah. that. <laughs> that. I would, would love that. And, like, this this is very specific to the era of Michael Keaton where he do, did very campy films. Uh, the Michael Keaton of today would not be very good Beetlejuice because he's doing films like Spider-Man Homecoming and that new American Assassin movie. And he did um, Spotlight, which won the Oscar. And he was and mm-hmm. Birdman, oh, which got and nominated. Birdman, yeah. He's had so, his- like, he's become... A, a very serious person who's in maybe not so serious films, but always playing these very serious down to earth people. And Beetlejuice is so far beyond that. Yeah. But he does a great job. I love Michael Keaton who I yes. really, really love in this movie is I love Catherine O'Hara. Yes. Oh, as the okay. Stepmother. I hated her character, but again, she does a good job. She, of yes. acting. She's so good at being this ridiculous, flamboyant like modern artist like hot like part of society new york like nonsense and sh- my and favorite- i had forgotten how many big name people She's there were in so that funny. i recognized oh yeah robert goulet is in this movie oh, yeah. for no point for no apparent reason because <laughs> well, he's robert goulet he does <laughs> what he wants um no but she has that scene very rarely on also Gina Davis is adorable. Oh, God. Gina Davis is America's sweetheart. She is great. She is so likable in this movie. You're just like, I want to just hang out with her character. (laughs) She and Alec Baldwin are just adorable and sweet. I forgot that Alec Baldwin was ever this skinny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, No, but I did not recognize him right away, but yeah. She has, it's so different. Yeah, she has a speech very early on, right when they get the house, when she's like, I must redecorate this, where she has a meltdown and she's like, if you don't let me get this house, <laughs> I will go crazy and I will take you with me. And she does this like, like complete psychotic break and it's the funniest thing. And she just has these yeah. really great scenes where she just makes a simple facial expression mm. that is so funny. Just an eyebrow raise. And I know she, yeah. she's been in other stuff, I believe. Home Alone. I, well, I, that was where I was going to well, go. I mean, but I think there's other things besides that because she's big name. But that's what, that was what I was going to say. The only other thing that I really remember her from was Home Alone. Um, I think she's been in a lot of – has she been in Christopher Guest movies? Oh, yeah. I think you're right. So like A Mighty Wind and The Dog One. Best I can't recall. Check. We did this before. Yeah, I never remember. It's the dog one. But the thing I loved about her character is she toes the line perfectly where she has the mentality of like this high class hoity-toity design type person. But she's also really bad at what she does. Like. So she has all of the um, the arrogance of a high-class artist and none of the talent. And I like that they don't really make her a villain. She's an obnoxious yeah. stepmother, but she's not an evil stepmother. 
Correct. Now, I, the, who I think is doing what she is doing maybe a little better than she is, is Otho, played by Glenn oh, Shadix. The two of their scenes together. I love Otho. And I feel like, again, he was somebody that I recognized his face, and I feel like I've seen him in stuff, but when I looked him up, I don't really remember seeing many of the other things he has been in. Yeah, so I, I don't think know why I've I knew only him. seen him in this, but like he is chewing the scenery. Oh, it's so he funny. is. Oh, like he has knockout joke lines like deliver me from L.L. Bean. It, he hits the perfect line of being this big flamboyant like character, but he's not a stereotype. He doesn't go all the way over to just being this this complete yes. like just screaming like diva queen. Like he's he's just very nonchalant <laughs> about it. He's just like, oh, everything I, is beneath me. What is this wallpaper? So his character... This was another confusing one for me, though. He's the interior yeah. designer, I think. Correct. But I feel Why like is he, he there. Yeah, I don't. Know. I feel like he lives in the house or something because he is always uh, there every scene. Yeah, you're right. Like he he's... came with them <laughs> I, for some reason. I and think but then like there, he was there for dinner later. Life coach, best friend. I don't know. He he fills multiple roles. It's true. He even mentioned once life. all the things that he used to do. I don't. I, right. I forget what they were. Yeah, I there's a right. couple. Right. So like, the but... the idea is that the new family moved here because the dad, who's a businessman, needed a break to get away from the busy city life. And, like, he dragged his family along with him. And I think Otho came along uh, in, in some sort of agreement. This is why the wife is here, because she got to bring her friend along. But then I my... think that's what they're setting up. You know, they don't explicitly say that. I guess my question is, he's just trying to get away for a while, right? It wasn't supposed yes. to be permanent. Yes. So why are they redecorating the entire house? <laughs> because his wife has to. Because it, it, it didn't have the right flow. Because they yeah, talk the about thing, feng shui. And, oh, <laughs> God, they do. The thing that strikes me is when they start redecorating, they don't start with the interior. They immediately start building onto the house and adding, like, these really and, weird additions. Yeah, like, yeah. even was the that weird, thing? The weird deck. Yeah. Yeah, like it, a modern art. Our, it our had like art a wall in it, but it was just the deck. It was like a wall with a window, but just yeah. attached to the deck. Like, what? and it looked awful. <laughs> I don't understand what the I, point of it. Was. I do love the really terrible reoccurring pointy statue. Yes, yes, that shows the one up that in becomes a like a chair. Yeah, because uh, the first thing is they have it on this like crane to get it into the house, and it traps the stepmother on the wall, and she's like losing it. Yeah, but not before breaking through the second floor window, where again a character is eating breakfast upstairs. <laughs> yep, I was wondering if you were going to mention that. It's a modern layout. <laughs> I I was just surprised. Kitchens are on ground floors. Just not surprised always. that There's Carl made it through the, the first five minutes of this movie. Uh, well, all right. I do want to talk about. We are going to get to what you want to talk about, <laughs> but let's talk about the the miniature fly through scene. Yes, because this miniature is so well done that in the beginning, as they're flying through, I couldn't tell if it was a helicopter shot or it was a miniature until they got to the very final house. I 
I wanted to comment on it too because I remember when I was watching it, I was like, "Man, this town looks really fake. They must have done a terrible job of this." Like, because <laughs> because I thought that the, you could tell. Like, I, I thought that that they were just it was a fake town that they made up for this shot, and I didn't yeah. realize it was the model until it got there and zoomed out, and I was like, I, "Oh, well, that explains why it looks so bad." I think maybe right. this was the movie I was trying to remember. With the train scene in Adam's family, remember? Oh, yeah, maybe. And I think it's this model because people come in and out from it a lot. Yeah. So, Mark, to your point, uh, the thing, oh, God. (laughs) So they get to the final house, which is a, a model version of the house that they are living in. And a spider climbs over top of it, and I just, I can't, because they don't even kill the spider. They put it onto a newspaper, and they let it go free so it can uh, terrorize someone else. Newspaper? Didn't he just pick it up with his hand and yeah, put it out it the window? Yeah, he picked it up with his hand. Oh, God. No, I wanted it to be a newspaper. I imagine it was a newspaper, and I saw a newspaper, because I can't imagine somebody touching a spider. Oh, God, I can't Baldwin, even. He's kind of crazy anyway. Well, because he just picked, didn't he, like, start talking to it, too? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> what I I noticed really weird was the way Lydia finally finds out there are ghosts in the house is they're trying to scare the humans <laughs> out of the house. And the only thing I can think of is to put sheets on their heads and pretend to be ghosts, which are these blue patterned sheets, which was ridiculous. <laughs> but she thinks it's yeah. like her parents or something. Right. And she's taking Polaroids and she picks up the Polaroid and there's no feet. Polaroids don't develop that fast. It like is immediate. She's like, oh, look, the picture's here. And I'm like, you took that two seconds ago. You got to wait at least a couple minutes before you see anything. What is that this is magic true, camera? But, all right. That is That's fair. better than having her go to a dark room and develop film. It's true. I just was like, <laughs> unrealistic. Uh, it's movie shorthand. Yeah. Polaroids do do that. It's just <coughs> not that fast. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I do like that they took the designer sheets uh, instead of just like floating things around and like doing general ghost stuff like they figure out a lot of other ways to try to scare them relatively quickly like in the scene where they come back to the house well I guess this is after the family has moved in they've just learned that they're ghosts by visiting the the other world or what have you uh, and they immediately come back and realize that oh I can just pull my face off and pretend to hang myself in a closet they, and it's just like I don't think you've they had even no been to the underworld yet at that point oh I think yeah you're right it's just like oh we're ghosts I guess I can do this stuff where without any training, without any experimentation, she goes immediately to pulling her face off. Well, they don't start hiding until after the ghost world because when they get back, it's that's when the remodelings happens. But they were because trying it, to right. scare them think, away be, because because they didn't yeah. actually go to the other world until they got up in the attic and yeah, locked I think the people Mark out. is right. The one mm. I'm talking about in the closet, they did as they were starting the remodeling. And they are done the remodeling after they return from the afterworld. Yeah. Afterworld? Otherworld. Whatever. <laughs> the waiting room. Yes. Before that, they step out of the house and see the sandworms. Yeah. Yes. And I want to talk about that because this is outdated CGI, but I didn't really care mm. because mm-hmm. of how it fits in the story. I wrote this like, down Like, this is too. another plane of existence. We don't know how this looks. We have no frame of reference. I said Maybe that too, it that looks I like it's old CGI. This stuff aged really well because of the fact that it was never trying to be realistic. Mm-hmm. It was, you always knew, yes, 
that was claymation. That was a mm -hmm. mask. You always realize that was a thing. And so it, since you already knew what the trick was, it doesn't age because you already saw that. And I read a thing that they had a really small special effects budget for this movie. And so they took that and ran with it and said, let's make this a campy horror movie style special effects. And I think that works really well, especially with Tim Burton's weird, crazy stuff. And that you've got like the claymation stuff mm -hmm. and you've like Pee-wee's nightmare <laughs> and all of these like weird things. And because they fit within the universe, you don't question it because it's interesting, though, because from it, I guess claymation i would just the nature of it where you have to right. take so many images and make little movements i feel like would be more expensive than some other effects you could do sometimes well i think it's more time, time consuming, consuming time by consuming far but like clay is relatively cheap you just need to hire someone who can manipulate it because the sandworms were definitely claymation yes and i think this and some of well, the furniture the, i mean the art yeah yeah the, the artwork when it came certainly. to life yeah and Maybe the snake was. Yeah, I think the um, was the preacher at the end. No, I think that was a costume. Yeah. Though it looked like it could have been. So anyway, but weird. so that it really benefited, I think, from the smaller budget because so much of it is the the rules in the story and like the makeup work and the costumes. Like that's what's selling this otherworldly mm -hmm. nature to it is Tim Burton's styling of the universe, which can be done relatively cheap as long as you go along with a single style mm -hmm. throughout. Yeah. One of the scenes that uses, like, some of the stuff with, like, the shrimp pans and things like that. I love the dance scene. Yes. This is, this this is, is one my of, favorite scene. Oh, yeah, it's my favorite scene. And every time I hear that song, the banana song, I'm like, this is the first thing I think of is this <laughs> weird dance scene. Though I, I was critical on it because, like, I love the scene. I love that they're dancing in the air that Otho, like, turns out, like, this champagne thing and starts drumming yeah. on it. Uh, and, like, the shrimp thing at the end, I, like, even looking for it, I don't necessarily see the fingers in the shrimp. And so how far they come out and grab the faces and bring them back down is always a bit of a shock to yeah. me, even though I'm expecting it. Like, my only notes on this is that some of the choreography could have been a bit tighter because I think they're supposed to be doing simultaneous actions and they're not quite. And also, at this with a lot of other scenes in this film, I don't like the lip syncing. I don't think it syncs up as clearly as it needs to. Well, and so my question here is... They've been trying people. to read this cancers. book and figure out how to be dead people. But I don't think they ever read the book. Well, they they, they try the to every time they try to read it, and it's when they read the other manual at the end, they're like, "This is this is ridiculous. We can't get through it. It's the hardest, yeah, most yeah, technical it's thing like ever." Stereo We're not reading instructions. It. So so at this point, they hadn't actually talked to Beetlejuice yet. I think correct. So what? How did? Because be, they they had tried scaring people away just by doing thing like like right. ripping off their own face. How did they suddenly discover that they could? take over an entire room and make things float around and make people speak. They did read various sections. They couldn't get through the whole book, but they read various sections and Juno did point them to right. a correct chapter. So my assumption is they did do some skimming when they got back. They just could never get through the whole thing. Yeah, that's that's my assumption as well. This is after they visited the the other world they've met juno they have some inkling that they have power in the real world even though people can't see them so like this is their first experiment which 
I think they do a great job. This would freak me out, but it doesn't do anything to their guests. Well, and at this point, Lydia already knew they were there, and she had been trying to tell people, and nobody believed mm-hmm. her until this scene. Otho did. And then, like, Otho finds out in this scene, but he believes immediately. Well, right. I think because he that was one of his former jobs. Lydia is the one person who's read the book because she said she read the book. Yeah. Yeah. She reads the book. Otho reads part of the book. Like the main characters are the only ones not reading this book. And why did they never ask Lydia? They're like, oh, you've read the whole book. Please give us the useful information. Explain our existence to us. And the funny thing about that was so then. They try to scare the people away. They go back upstairs and they're all excited about this big thing that they just did. And then Lydia shows up and says, well, now they want you to come downstairs. And the adults are all making plans about how to make this a party thing and have yeah, them perform we're gonna make for their ghost guests. World. And, mm-hmm. To be fair, if a place is haunted, you can make some money as a tourist attraction. Although that is the fair. point was to scare them away and it definitely right. didn't work. So. Yeah, because they're these these real weird city people that do not behave like normal rational people (laughs) all right i want to talk about this specific character because it was my other favorite scene because it had no bearing on the plot whatsoever and it's a movie trope that i'd like to see more of because it's ridiculous it's when they're in the afterworld they find this door where behind it there's just like these floating souls Mm, and the trope yeah the Mm -hmm. trope is just just brilliant janitor who walks by is like yes that's the lost souls room (laughs) don't want to go in there that's where you go if you get exercised well goodbye (laughs) and he sounds exactly like janitor yeah but it is like some janitor or caretaker or something just walks by and like oh here's some vital information you might need bye that's my only exactly So, like, I guess they would have gone there had Otho's exorcism gone, you know, as far as it could have. But, like, this has no bearing. We never see this guy again. He just stops by to give plot explanation and that is gone for the rest of the movie. Yeah, you need to show the door so you can realize how bad it is for them to get exercised. That is kind of this terrible horrifying limbo why the random janitor does it i don't know why it's great yeah. i think like it's funny. You, you have a character already set up to explain things to them which is the uh the, uh, the servant or yeah or juno juno never leaves well juno does leave her office yeah she comes to their house she also leaves to go yell at the football players <laughs> yeah true. i love the football players coach yes. coach I don't think we survived the crash. <laughs> coach, what should we do, coach? I'm not, not your, your coach. coach. So something I just thought of while you were talking about that. Yeah. What is that sand world that they stepped out of their house? Like, I thought that was a limbo-type area. Yes. But if this is where they go, then what is that sand world? So I looked it up on Wikipedia for, like, the plot synopsis. <laughs> Uh, not specifically this, I did it for my games and I don't know if they have a name for that place, but apparently Juno describes to them that they need to stay in this house for the next 125 years or there will be dire consequences. I think that world is the dire consequences. The dire consequences are you reenact Dune, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So like Tim Burton's it, Dune. <laughs> I'd watch it. Uh, but like, if you leave the house, you are subject to punishment by sandworm. Like, it's 
just this giant sand trap surrounding their afterlife is the only explanation I kind of get from it. Because, but it doesn't seem to like be eternal punishment like the exorcist room is. Because later, Beetlejuice does get eaten by a sandworm and he just ends up back in the waiting room. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it's like that that final part, it kind of breaks the rules because also the sandworms are on this otherworldly existence. Like they're another plane from the real world where the house exists. I don't know how the sandworm gets there. Well, how did because the Maitlands stepped out there and they got back. Sure, they can step through a portal, which happens to be the doors to their home. I and but the woman comes crashing through the ceiling with the sandworm. I don't know. It's never fully explained in a movie that has a lot of explanation of the afterlife. It's true. I assume she drove the sandworm through the door. But she comes in through the ceiling. Maybe she drove it through the window. All right. I'll, I will give you maybe she drew it like through the ghost door they drew in the attic. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it's a deleted scene. <laughs> it's possible. Because while we're on the subject of the scene, like... I didn't love this ending because mm. it's not really well filmed. It's too many quick cuts. Like, you don't really see the sandworm descend. You see, like, a cut of the sandworm enter. You see a cut of Beetlejuice. You see the sandworm, the cut of the sandworm on the ground. Like, this could have been a lot more fluid and a lot more continuous. I, There's I too many quick cuts. This was the one scene where that low budget hurt them. That having mm -hmm. a big continuous, because most of the other times you see the sandworm or you see like the face stretches, it's it's either a very short amount of time or it's a static thing. Yeah. Like the faces, once they're stretched, they're just a mass. And so maybe it was all this movement. The quick cuts were how they got around it looking really, really fake. Mm -hmm. And it's something that maybe if they had, had done it a few years later, they wouldn't have had to do that. Yeah. Which is why I wouldn't mind if they remade it, because this is something that they can really improve but, on. But who would be as lovable as Gina Davis? Nobody. Nobody could be as lovable as Gina Davis. What if What if they had Winona Ryder now play that role? Oh, Winona. <laughs> no, I want to see her as the stepmom. Uh, <laughs> I, I, what else? Have I, so Winona Ryder was also yeah. in... Edward alien something no. so she was in, a in edward scissorhands okay. also but yeah she was in the alien movie which may nice anyway i was thinking that the alien movie was the first time i had seen her but i actually mm. have seen edward scissorhands before that so never mind i take it back <laughs> beetlejuice might have been the first movie i saw her in because this was like her second movie she did she yeah. was like 16 when she did this mm-hmm did is Edward Scissorhands before this? After. I think it is. Is no, it? It's after. Yeah, it was like two years later. I looked it up. Okay. Before. Because this was her second movie. She did one movie called Lucas with like mm. one of the Corys, <laughs> and I think maybe that. Yeah, it was, I think it was that one with one of the Corys. And based off of just that performance, because it was the only thing she'd really done, she got cast in this one. And I assume she got cast in Edward Scissorhands because she had done this one. Yeah, probably. And Tim Burton were like, yeah, Tim Burton is real big on recasting people a lot. Oh, you, you know, another thing I wanted to mention oh, here. That's what, sorry. Okay. Go, I'll say it uh, it's, it's one of my first notes. I'm surprised we haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, the, the way that they spell Beetlejuice yes. is different in the opening credits than it is throughout the rest of the <sighs> yes. film. I read and, 
something about that. I didn't write it down, but well, if I did, thing I want to can... say is I... just I remember seeing this as a kid, and as a kid, I questioned it because I wasn't like I wasn't cognizant enough to like remember what the opening title was. I I thought they were different, but I couldn't verify they were different. Well, and I... what is funny is because you don't. I don't think you see it spelled out uh, at the beginning because you see Beetlejuice the time the title yeah. screen. But when they're reading or, um, uh, the flyer that he leaves mm-hmm. out, uh, whatever his name is, Maitland, I forget his first name. Yeah. Uh, but he's reading it and he says, who's Beetle Guys? And it doesn't make sense because well, you haven't seen it spelled thing. That's the recurring thing. That's why it takes them so long to summon him is because they don't know how to pronounce the name. Right. And, right. and the thing I read on why they have to spell this Beetle Juice yes. is that it was better for marketing. Like, it's a more recognizable, easier to pronounce spelling of it. Yes. Because Beetlejuice, while also the name of some space stuff, space is stuff, not yes. space stuff. A, a star. Some space stuff. It's where, um, what's his face is from in Hitchhiker's Guide? It's where Ford, oh, Prefect, Ford Prefect is from. Prefect. He, is, he is from somewhere in the vicinity, vicinity of, of Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yes. yes. But I mean, not as many people know how to pronounce that one. And I think it just looks better on as a title than Beetlejuice. Spelled the other way. I, I the agree. Way. That doesn't but sound like, like what I read, but I could. But oh, what did you There's, read? I don't remember. There's probably all kinds <laughs> of different theories that just. I was like, oh, maybe when somebody else mentions it, I, well, I'll remember it, but I don't remember. Okay. Um, also, the other thing I was thinking of because I'm like, I know Catherine O'Hara was in another Tim Burton movie. Uh, she was in Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, as a voice, clearly. Obviously. <laughs> well, I mean, I you would not have seen her in that film. But she played Sally. Oh, I do love me some Sally. Anywho, uh, let's see. Well, we're about 40 minutes. Do you guys want to go on to, I guess, we could go on to the third act. Um, I'm trying to go through my notes here. Oh, one thing I do want to talk about is the... I really enjoyed the lead up to the reveal of Beetlejuice, even though I hated the character of Beetlejuice. Because they say his name three times, but that doesn't summon him. They say his name three times and it shrinks them down to the miniature scale where they, they have to go into the graveyard to where the, the, the he is buried and then dig up all the materials used in the graveyard to get to his coffin and then he emerges. Like, that lead-up is great, because it makes you super... Uh, you really anticipate this guy's arrival, uh, even though he does not deliver on the promise in the slightest. He is the grossest. He is the grossest. Oh, also, the... Um, uh, I did really enjoy the uh, the best little whorehouse in Connecticut. That, <laughs> the way that they distract Beetlejuice is that Juno summons a whorehouse for the miniature that the dad is then blamed for, even though the wife has seen this miniature village before. This, okay, so this movie was, just a second. Now I don't remember what I'm saying. The year? No, not the year. It's 88, okay. isn't it? It is the year of my birth. I guess what's so mine? What? Um, anyway, but it, this movie was rated PG, and I think that is kind of hilarious because it's one of like three movies that got away with saying an F word in a PG movie. <laughs> uh, so, let's see. When were. Oh, I gotta look something up. Go ahead, Mark. Here's an argument that Beetlejuice is spelled 
with the G spelling because Beetlejuice, much like how he can't say his own name, Beetlejuice can't write his own name, so he had to spell it ah. differently to get the word across. But the other one was something about how the studio didn't like the name because it was spelled wrong, because mm-hmm. he wanted it to be Beetlejuice with the J, and they didn't like it that way, so they were telling him to change it to House Ghosts, which what? sounded dumb. And so yeah, that sounds worse. That sounds as another worse. option, Tim Burton put forward the idea scared sheetless, but was <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> eventually they came to an understanding and made it Beetlejuice with the J spelling. <laughs> okay, that's an interesting theory though. I could actually buy that, because that was a rule that I really dug is that Beetlejuice cannot summon or banish himself. He can't even say his own name. He has to give it out in like clues to Lydia that she is really bad at guessing, by the way. Yeah. Oh yeah, I wrote down she is terrible at charades. Oh, but this isn't charades. This is like, oh, what are those pictures you have well, to guess? Well, he starts out as charades. He's doing mm-hmm. the whole two words and doing right. the arm tapping thing. He's doing charades, and then he cheats. And then he randomly he turns into a beetle. <laughs> right. And then he's like, look behind you. And it's just a beetle. And then just he has like, orange juice. And she's like, oh, is it beetle breakfast? breakfast? Beetle breakfast, beetle orange. <laughs> Beetle. Uh, beetle breakfast. Beetle breakfast. <laughs> Orange, Orange beetle. beetle. <laughs> Squeezed beetle. Concentrated beetle. Uh, um, anyway, let's. Uh, if you've got one more thing, let's do it. And no, then let's this go is on for the, the next. Oh, well, except for I wrote again that I love the football team. Just the, every scene with the football team is the funniest thing. All right. So third act in this film is the the seance that Otho is conducting, which he doesn't realize is an exorcism. Uh, and I thought this was great. The way that the bodies rise out or rise up into their wedding clothes and then they start to age as soon as they get there. It is. Was this is brilliant. a really heartbreaking scene. Yeah, like, it is. <laughs> Oh, because especially Lydia when, is like they they can't talk anymore because they can become these husks. And Lydia yeah. and Barbara just like reach their hands out and try to to hold hands. And I'm like, oh my goodness. The the one that gets me is uh, so Gina Davis gets summoned first, and like the death starts getting summoned out of her. And she gets all wrinkly. Hands. And, and then, yes, and then Alec Baldwin comes, and he's super young, so he sees the really old version of his wife, but he still loves her, and so he reaches out her hand, and they join hands, and he crushes her hand a little bit, but it's fine because they love each other. It is, it is a very, very, emo- <laughs> Tim Burton at this era was very good at very hard to watch emotional scenes. Like, there's yeah. a reason I can't watch Edward Scissorhands very much anymore because it makes me cry. <laughs> oh, uh, did you crush the uh, the guy in the waiting room who looked almost exactly like Edward Scissorhands? No, I don't think I did. Oh, he's in the background. You can only see his head, but he's in like in a sleeping bag with a rattler. Oh yeah, <laughs> him. Um, Jack Skellington makes an appearance in this movie too. Does he? Um, when I I remember seeing that. When was it? It's it's sometime when Beetlejuice is in the miniature and there's a 
It's either in the miniature not when he's or yelling, when he has the hat the thing. Miniature. It's something with the merry-go-round and mm. and the, the top portion is shaped like Jack Skellington's head. Oh. So this was another thing. Beetlejuice is just dead, right? And yes. doing things from the afterlife. Why can he shrink his size and do magic tricks to shrink other people down to his size? And So I don't know. Uh, the only thing I have is that, like, he has some sort of curse on him, right? Maybe that's, we talked earlier about why can he just escape. Maybe that's what happens when you escape and try to go freelance. Suddenly you're bound by the rules of having to be summoned. Ah, uh, maybe. And, like, I could see him doing something in the afterlife that gives him more power but limits him. It's like becoming a genie where he has a very itty-bitty living space. Itty-bitty. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, the only thing I can think of is that he made some deal which makes him more powerful, but also you have to summon him now. He's not given free reign. And we have no idea how old he is. We know right. that that um, the the Ma- Maitlands mm-hmm. um, are are have only been dead like a year at the most. Yes. Um, Time passes very quickly when you're dead. Because there is the three month gap, but mm-hmm. but there's only really been enough time to sell the house. And have right. those the three months to fix it and people living there because what's her name annoying cousin hasn't aged any is still there they're still talking about it but he's kind of like this weird timeless anomaly we don't know how old a ghost yes. he is so he's very get- old we know that because when they ask for his qualifications one of the things he gives is that he lived through the black plague apparently some of those qualifications he gives when he like is joking to do it are real qualifications of Michael Keaton. Like, <laughs> really? The studying at business school and going to Juilliard. Did he go to Juilliard? Yes, and the traveling extensively. Apparently those are all just things Michael now, Keaton Now, has he did. seen The Exorcist 127 times and it just I, keeps getting funnier every single time? I don't know about that one, but the one about the business school and the Juilliard <laughs> were, were just Michael Keaton. Because apparently a lot of that part he improved provides that that thing about his qualifications and he just put his own stuff (laughs) that's pretty amazing because like that's one of the one of his only lines i really enjoyed in the film so it's funny that that's like something he actually did on his own something not in the script at all well it does um, a movie trope that i really like is when a character with an accent or a character voice drops out of it to give a line (laughs) Cause, Cause, he drops out of it, and he's just yeah. doing his normal voice when he's saying that. And it's for for me that sort of like trope for a joke. I think is really funny. Yeah, or like when I someone really has a really heavy it. accent, and then I'll say like like they drop out of it and talk one line super clear, <laughs> and then go back to the unintelligible accent. And I just think it's really funny. I don't know why. Right. It's a joke. Let's I let's like. loop back to the end. So we've got the the Maitlands holding hands adorably on the the kitchen table. And Robin does not care at all throughout this entire scene. He is unamused by everything. Yeah, which is like his whole thing is that he came there because his wife likes the supernatural. He's trying to be and talked into developing this ghost world type thing. And his whole thing is like, all right, let's see the ghosts. Here are the ghosts. And he couldn't care less. <laughs> I like he's just like, okay. Yeah. I have seen plenty imp- of ghosts. Robert <laughs> Goulet. Yeah, this doesn't impress Robert Goulet. <laughs> Do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm Robert Goulet, goddammit. <laughs> But yeah, that whole scene on the, the kitchen table. And, and even like the dad is like, you have to stop this. And um, what's his name? It's like, I can't stop it. It's too yeah. late. And they're just watching this these people. And 
they're like, oh, they can't feel anything. Then she's like, no, look at them. They're yeah, dying. She's super duper in pain. She just can't say anything. Oh, it's oh, God. It is hard to though. Before Winona Ryder is really good in this movie. Yes. Otho has a line, uh, something about, I know as much about the supernatural as I do about interior design, and I have a note, which is to say nothing. Yeah. Because he doesn't know Jack about the supernatural. He tried to perform a seance, and he performed an exorcism. Where did he get that book anyway? Like, Oh, where- this is the he's, handbook. He stole it from oh, them. Oh, he stole the handbook. That's what right. he When they went to Attic looking for the ghost, he Why found the book. Why does the handbook have something about an, how to perform an exorcism? I don't know. Maybe it's how to avoid one. Yeah, the one, but the other note they I have is- step-by-step instructions on how to do it. Just be like, hey, exorcism happening? Leave. <laughs> Uh, actually, I'm gonna see if I can find the actual. Sand words are better. <laughs> I have the uh, just a note here that like the the words that he reads from the book to do the seance slash exorcism they sound like scat poetry. So I'm gonna see if I can find them. And they do not sound like they should be an exorcism because it is like raise the dead, raise the dead, and I don't know why that kills the dead. <laughs> I I don't know. All right, uh, though. Where this leads us is this is how Beetlejuice escapes the second time where he um, Lydia has to make a deal with him to save these people because nobody else knows what the heck they're doing. And there's a new mentioned rule where he wants to marry Lydia because he has to marry a human to be able to have access to the human world, I guess, is kind of the thing, right? Except he's already in the human world. Well, That's he's what in I the didn't so. So if we go back to the the genie analogy, him getting married is like somebody wishing him free. He gets free reign in the physical realm. He doesn't have to be summoned to it anymore. And and even when he's summoned, he didn't leave the house. I don't think he could leave the house either. Hmm. Yeah. So that's that's the new rule we get, which I kind of liked is like this is what's holding him back. This is his want in this scene. So. He makes a legitimate deal, does what he promises to do, and then they renege on the promise that he that he was supposed to receive. So apparently Lydia has learned business from her father. <laughs> uh, though in this wedding scene, like Gina Davis looks gorgeous in the wedding dress that she is given to wear. Lydia looks horrendous. Like a loofah? <laughs> yes. But isn't that typical of a Tim Burton crazy outfit? Yes. Speaking of which, this is a visual gag that our listeners will not get. Sarah, did you specifically wear that shirt because we're doing Beetlejuice? Because it looks like his suit. (laughs) It is black and white string, but no. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, the most iconic I got uh, some Lydia lipstick on. You sure do. (laughs) I mean, you're very themed. Uh, but the most iconic outfit for Beetlejuice is that black and white striped suit, yes. which he is in for like all of five minutes in the film. Mm-hmm. In my memory, he wears that throughout, but that's it's, not the case. When, when they first meet him, he was he actually dressed like Alec Baldwin for a while. Oh, yeah. Well, bit. he's yeah. wearing his normal. Uh, he's wearing some sort of he has a large amount of what I would call used car salesman suits. Just really, yeah. really terrible suits. Yep. But at one point he hugs Alec Baldwin and like. Possesses his outfit because <laughs> all of a sudden he draws back and he's just wearing like a button up and khakis. <laughs> um, yeah, that was the thing because 
that it's the first time you see the suit is in that ending scene. And mm-hmm. it's the first time I really, really was consciously aware of the Beetlejuice theme playing. Yeah, which is a great theme. Oh, it is. I love that music. They that was done the first it a thing I always remember often. about it. For as much as I have gotten where I really have disliked some of the newer Tim Burton movies, mm-hmm. Danny Elfman is always on point. Danny yeah. Elfman is great. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tim Burton and Johnny Depp have both gotten real, real lazy in like the last <laughs> 10 years. Danny Elfman, still, still good game. Good, good. The Alice in Wonderland soundtrack, great. What's that movie? Right. Boring. <laughs> Danny Elfman, we love you. You'll never yes. listen to this. Please come on the podcast. Please, <laughs> anyone, God, please come on this podcast. Anyway, uh, so let's let's get to the end so they say his name three oh no they try to say his name three times because they There's don't a, even de- they don't de-summon him at all right that's not how they get rid of him but i, I do I like now. everyone the way he stops like mm. everyone tries to like um so this is, is a Barbara great sight- and adam there we go yes adam this is a great um, sight gag as well uh, because the, the wife out. uh Oh yeah, his teeth gets pulled out, but and he can still teeth, talk a little bit. The teeth can still talk, and then the teeth are like attacking Beetlejuice's <laughs> feet. But the side gag I was talking about was uh, the wife says his name once. He throws a spell at her, and she's got a, a zipper. zipper across yeah. his mouth. So she unzips it, says his name again. He so he hexes her again, and she's got like this steel plate on her. Yeah, mouth. both of those effects were. They're years old, but they still look great. Yeah. And I like that there's no repeats in how they had Beetlejuice stop them. You have the mm-hmm. teeth falling out. Um, you have then he gets banished to the miniature. You have the zipper. You have the plate. At one point, he just sticks his hand over Lydia's mouth and mimics her voice. <laughs> yes, where she's agreeing to marry him. So it's it's all different ways. There's no repeats in it, which is right. great. I just don't understand why you would start with a zipper if you know it could be opened right away. Well, it's it's just <laughs> the, the adage, Mark, is what they're going for. He's going to zip your mouth shut. Yeah. And also that was just fun. the first thing I thought is, well, if you're trying to stop her from talking, why would you start with something that can be opened? And I, and but, I think you've got to get to the two point. You have to have said yes. it two times to really get that that tension going. And in mm-hmm. the end, they don't even banish him. He gets eaten by a sandworm. Yeah, which is, as we said, it's a it's great in theory. The execution was not quite there. I just wanted Gina Davis writing the sandworm. Though... Let's get to the end because it immediately jumps to the Maitlands back in their home the way that it was. And then Lydia enters from school. And initially I thought, what happened to the parents? Did they die? Did Mm -hmm. they move back? They have weird ghost shared custody now. Yeah, which... I don't really understand why. This isn't explained why the mom would change her mind this much to undo all the decoration changes that she's made to the home. Maybe now that they can see the ghosts, they were able to talk to each other and come to a compromise. Maybe she has like her artwork room somewhere that's all crazy. And maybe they have common ground now with that they all really care for Lydia and they saw what Barbara and Adam went through to keep Lydia safe. Maybe I could see them. Although it is a lot of remodeling, but like Catherine O'Hara is unreasonable throughout the film. I don't see her changing, especially since Lydia is not her daughter. She also, but they call her. She she corrects his mother as stepmother at one point. 
but they they do when she's when um the dad said Charles, I think his name is. Yeah, that's possible. Cuz cuz I read a thing where it's alphabetical, it's A B C D. So it's Adam, Barbara, I think it's Charles uh, and Dana, Deirdre. Delia. 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 Um we didn't even talk they, about him very much. They've no, at least been really married long enough where where he is treating her as Lydia's mother. So it's possible Lydia's mother died very young, and this has been her stepmother since she was like four. So we don't know how long this family unit has been a thing. That is true, though. And I she's w- going through a phase where she's like, "Everything's awful." <laughs> and I'm writing poetry before I jump into a river. A, Let me a just quick scribble out. That Let doesn't make sense out this it's suicide like note so I can go be with my friends, Dad. It is like perfect weather outside, and she's writing this like suicide note where it's like i'm gonna throw myself in the freezing Mm -hmm. river no it's like summer (laughs) where are you gonna find that river for lydia where are you gonna find that river you're not gonna find that river maybe it's the same one that the maitlands died in but it's not freezing (laughs) no really wouldn't be (laughs) anyway um, my note here is at the end of the film i came to the kind of the realization that like Nobody really had an arc in this film. Like, the parents... Like, arguably, the mother is the one who changes the most. uh, Because the dad is still getting away from business. He's exactly the way he was at the the start of the film. The Maitlands have become accustomed to death and are doing exactly what they're doing at the start of the film. But they have a a pseudo-daughter now. Yeah, Lydia hasn't really changed. Beetlejuice hasn't changed. Because they see her at school, she's... Toned okay, down her she's look, made... it seems like she's getting along great at school. I don't know. She she has made friends, I will give you that. But, like, the the outfit she's wearing just seems to be the school uniform. No, she has a crinoline under it. Okay. I don't know what that word was. <laughs> More visual gags with Carl's face on that one. <laughs> it's like a petticoat. Okay, I'm more familiar with that word. Just Google it. I don't it's even like know what word it was. Crinoline. <laughs> it's crinoline. like when you want like ruffly stuff under a skirt to poof it out. It's like oh, that. Okay. She has it under the skirt that's hanging out and that's black because she has her like schoolgirl skirt, but she has mm-hmm. a crin- black crinoline under it. That's just her her showing her own personality in the yes. school uniform. Crinoline for the fashion fans who are fans of this podcast. <laughs> word people use no uh it's not a word that men use maybe that's a better way because i i don't see myself ever wearing this sarah i mean probably not but i've had two for several dresses Um, all right but yeah that it just seemed to me that while a lot of things happened in this film as like there were visual gags there were things to see there were things going on nothing really changes they form their own little weird family yeah so like to me this this film is more of an experience than it is a story because like the characters largely don't change over the course of it but they do go on a journey together and like it's more about the things they did as opposed to them changing yes i would say that so it's a it's a weird i would have to be in a very specific mood to watch this film again oh no i love it i would watch it 
I I remember well again like we talked about I remembered the cartoon shake, a lot shake, more shake. yeah and I, I had watched this a few years ago and haven't watched it since then so I didn't remember much about it anyway because I, I don't watch it too often was weird enough for and me. it's it's well that's the thing this is a lot weirder than the cartoon yes. and it was. I remember I thought that I liked it, and there are parts that I liked, but, like, overall, it's like you said, like, I could watch it, but you have to be in the right mood. It's not something I would go to probably not even every year or every other year. Talking about the Ghostbusters, not the Ghostbusters, that's what the references can be. No, um, (laughs) the (laughs) Beetlejuice cartoon reminds me of the Ghostbusters cartoon in the fact that, like, Slimer is suddenly their friend and mascot when he was an enemy in the movie. Beetlejuice also, is one now of them best looks friend. completely different for no yeah. reason. <laughs> and, and, and for some reason, Beetlejuice is a good guy now instead of a yeah. creepy pervert yeah. guy. Like, as a kid, I remember Beetlejuice being funny, him being the highlight of this oh, film. Oh, no, Beetlejuice he is has, the like, villain. He has, like, zero jokes. Mm-hmm. He He's is the just super-duper pervy throughout. He is the bad guy. Yes, he is the bad guy. I have heard you. Like these. Like these. <laughs> like, oh, come on. That is a reference to my niece, who is two. Bees can be good guys for her. Well, you were the one who said the bees were the bad guy. I said they were an obstacle, not a bad guy. All right. Bees. We are getting way too inside baseball. So let's go on to is games. Is that a phrase? Let's go on to games. <laughs> First game is the pitch game, uh, a game where you are combining two properties to make the film in the form. It's this meets this. You can use movies, TV shows, stores if you want to. Uh, so it's just what Beetlejuice is in terms of other properties. I'm going to start us off. Uh, so since this is a since this is Michael Keaton in a film with Tim Burton's unique style with a villain with a pale face, red lips and green hair and a film with Alec Baldwin becoming invisible to regular people living in a world with otherworldly rules and powers. It is Tim Burton's Batman meets the shadow. Okay. The first one was obvious. I would yeah. not have known that second one. So Mark, go ahead. Uh, Okay, well, again, a Tim Burton movie, but this time where it's a dead person trying to marry a live person to exploit a loophole in the land of the dead, and also live-action mixed with animated creatures. I have Corpse Bride meets Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, very nice. Again, the first one was obvious. I got that right away. (laughs) All right, Sarah, what you got? Because it is a couple getting used to being dead and the afterlife, and a house with a lot of weird visions and things like that i have don't do it defending your life meets the 1986 horror movie house wow <laughs> wow <laughs> i i did not have either of those i, I don't know if no i've heard, heard of either of those it's true defending your life as meryl street no it's, it is it is great that you are bringing a very unique perspective yeah uh, it's rare that i've not even heard of a film but like this is great i'm learning we films. might at some point i might pick house as yes. a movie because i it is a real weird horror movie and it was probably inappropriate to watch as a child but i did watch <laughs> it as a child it doesn't surprise me with all right your so i'm going to finish off with i think my best one so we'll get probably my worst one here 
Characters in a mystical universe seeking advice from a centuries-old sage living in moss with balding, wispy hair, also a villain getting eaten by a giant sandworm, and a property uh, that is a spooky-themed movie in a cartoony style with terrible ghost costumes. This is Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back meets It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, wouldn't have gotten with those ones. (laughs) I, I actually had considered uh, a Star Wars movie, but it was not Empire Strikes Back. Oh, interesting. For me, the giant sandworm just immediately pointed True. to that one. I, I just thought of all the claymation monsters, and it went to Jedi um, ah. with the thing that I forget its name. Uh, anyway, my second one... Because we have a movie where the main characters die at the beginning and spend time trying to communicate with the living, also spending time in the underworld, and a movie about a family adjusting to moving into a new house while spirits try to make them leave, I have Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey meets (laughs) Casper. (laughs) I do have one of those. Yeah. Is it Bill and Um, Ted's? Um, I figured neither of you would put that one. (laughs) Because this is a movie with some nightmare claymation. And it's also a movie where a young girl can see spirits in her weird house and a really obnoxious ghost character. I've got Gumby meets Casper. <laughs> I was trying I would to decide. Not I went have back and thought forth. of Gumby at all. I went back and forth between Gumby and Pee Wee's play. Yeah. For the nightmare claimant. You mentioned that earlier, and I hadn't even thought of it. <laughs> it was the first saw that nightmare sandworm face i'm like it's <laughs> <laughs> of course it is why wouldn't it be <laughs> the, actually right. i think the worst one was when beetlejuice turned into a snake that was just weird. oh <laughs> gosh yeah so did we have i have another one i you, i'm you gonna go i'm gonna yeah. do my last one so this is a story with a magical helper who becomes a villain who is controlled by his own name and who who gets screwed out of a legitimate deal he makes uh and a movie a movie where the main character dies and returns as a specter, trying to communicate with the living world and has to learn the ropes from a much more experienced spirit. This is Rumpelstiltskin meets Ghost. <laughs> you know what? I have had girlfriends in the past tell me how that's such a great movie, and I still don't think I've ever even seen it. That's Swayze. It's very handsome. Yes, it's that's all right. I hear about it's it. It's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, they get a weird sex pottery scene. Well, but my problem with that scene, like, (laughs) the scene in the middle is the fact that I can never forget the fact that it's not actually Patrick Swayze. She was doing all of that stuff with Whoopi Goldberg. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, moving on. Finish us off here. (laughs) Okay, again, supernatural claymation creatures mixed with live action and... Movie where a realtor visits a haunted house in hopes of selling it for a large profit. I have Ghostbusters meets Disney's Haunted Mansion. Uh, yes. That's yes a terrible yes. movie. Yeah, that <laughs> was a oh, terrible movie, but it's it still was the fits. Eddie Murphy one? 
Yes. yes. They keep yeah, saying yeah. they're going to remake it and do an actual, like, scary, interesting one, but oh, you mean a good never version. happens. Because <laughs> there was, at one point, there was rumors that Guillermo del Toro was going to do a Haunted Ooh. Mansion movie, and I'm like, See? I'd watch that. Yeah, that sounds really good. All right, let's go on to our second game. Our second game is Alternate Tagline, a word or phrase Ooh. you would see on the movie poster for this film that kind of describes the theme of it, though probably intentionally missing the point. All right, so I'm again going to start us off here so this is in reference to the um different ways the name is presented in the film it is beetlejuice disgusting no matter how you spell it all right mark go ahead what do you have <clears throat> okay so again as is the theme with me i ended up making a more real tagline <laughs> instead of a good comedic one so i have beetlejuice hell breaks loose Ooh, not bad oh all right, Sarah, go ahead, and then we'll cover the actual ones. I forgot to do that, but go ahead. Um, Beetlejuice, always read the manual. <laughs> yes. Nice. All right, so we're going to bring in here with some of the actual taglines for this film. Uh, it is Beetlejuice, say it once, say it twice, but we dare you to say it three times. Uh, he's guaranteed to put some life in your afterlife. And in this house, if you've seen one ghost, you haven't seen them all. These are like middle of the road at best. I yeah. think we have already beaten these. I looked at those and I didn't like any of them. So I have one that's similar to one of those, but is even worse. Oh, good. Because I also have that. I'm going to do that one third, but we're I'm going gonna to let my... you handle that because I have none left. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, so my second one, I have to describe the poster here. So it's, it's the title and then the, the Maitlands, the couple that become the ghosts in the film. Just them together on the movie poster. The tagline is, death has come and they want to stay home. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my second, my, my last one is Beetlejuice. So nice they said it thrice. Oh, oh, God. oh <laughs> it destroyed me. <laughs> All right. I told you uh, it was worse. So... <laughs> Yeah, I have one very similar. Uh, my last one I like a lot because it describes both how he is summoned and also a bit of his personality. So it is Beetlejuice, once, twice, three times a creeper. <laughs> I'm glad that you both used something with his name three times, though, because yes. I was trying to I, I only had the one. But the yeah, second I one that I kept trying to come up with was like yeah. a way to mumble it to be like, <laughs> oh, I said it twice and now he stopped me from saying it the third time to get rid of <laughs> well, him. But I couldn't, my third I couldn't figure line, out I a way to make it sound line. right. Yeah, but no, I specifically wrote three so I could say the title three times. Yeah. All right. Our third game is the TV Guide game, a description of the plot of the film you would see in a TV Guide or a Netflix, Netflix description, though intentionally missing the point again. Again, I'm going to start us off here. So Beetlejuice is the story of a couple who continually refuse to read the one piece of literature that would solve all of their problems while a weird and grotesque man bothers everyone he meets until he is forced to leave. Uh, forced to leave or eaten. <laughs> he is forced to leave. <laughs> Violently forced. Uh, all right, Mark, go ahead. Uh, I don't even remember writing this. All right. <laughs> it was Beetlejuice. <laughs> a realtor struggles to sell a haunted house and later discovers her clients would have paid more if they had known the ghosts were there. Ha! <laughs> 
Okay, my first one is a home redesign leads to conflict between homeowners. Oh, yes. I like that a lot. It is nice and simple. All right. And it right. is the thing that really starts their drama is they're like, it's fine if they'd kept the house the same, but they're terrible people. Yeah, terrible just keep it the way we liked it. Well, when we I were feel alive. like at one point it was all painted like gray and sparkly. It was, it was weird. Oh, it had like yeah, stone like walls. The, yes. So the entire uh, entryway was painted to look like concrete. Yeah. yeah. It was weird. It was terrible. gross. Anyway, uh, my second one, Beetlejuice is a movie where one of the main characters fails to remove a nest of pests in his home and his wife wears white to a friend's wedding before ruining the entire ceremony. Uh, yes. A deceased psychopath uses a candy bar to lure an innocent fly to its doom. What a buzzkill. <laughs> Oh, God, you had to, like, go so far to get to that awful pun. Yep. Okay. I had Government. to, you said. So. <laughs> Government bureaucracy leads to a couple, leads a couple to turn to black alley options. <laughs> Very nice. That was a great way to close out our game section. So why don't we go on to reviews? So our first review session review session no our, our first review scale is that of the potato scale uh where we tell you the emotional state of the film something you can expect to feel when watching this movie in terms of our relationship with potatoes so do either of you know what you're going to say have you prepared this <laughs> at all of course not <laughs> with you <laughs> all right i have the list up so i'm going to go ahead uh so i think this definitely qualifies with potatoes with eyes in not like the the claymation or the uh the 3d graphics of limbo it really has to do with his like Beetlejuice's speech, or and in some places the the dialogue, they do some uh, gay bashing, which I don't think fits with today's society at all, but would be right in place with the '80s. So I think like specifically a character in some of the dialogue is aged very poorly, but it's also kind of a mashed potatoes. Like the relationship between the Maitlands and their relationship with Lydia, it is the heart of the film. And, like, that emotion is there. Tim Burton did an excellent job setting up these characters and making us care about them. Um, that's, well, I suppose a black potato as well, just because the troubling issues of the wedding at the end. It seems really weird that Beetlejuice would take a teenage bride. But that is it for me. Those three potatoes. Who's going next? I, it's interesting that you say that. So I was feeling more the as i mentioned i remember really liking this but when i got back into it this time like I, there were, it had moments but it wasn't great mm -hmm. to me it's not something that i would go back to every year so i kind of i would agree with the potatoes with eyes that it spoiled with age but also sweet potatoes and boxed potatoes because i think there was a lot there that was good but some of the parts that were not as good just kind of lost me for a while in the middle of it and then, then sweet potatoes because not as expected just because I was expecting this great thing that I remember loving and even though I enjoyed it and I would watch it again eventually it's just not something that I really enjoyed as much as I thought I would 
Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. Had I prepared, I might have chosen those. Okay. <laughs> As you're um, making fun of us for not preparing. I have completely different potatoes, and they're new potatoes. And I'm kindly, kind of finagling the definition for them. Oh, jeez. I'm going to go with fingerling. And it says the, the definition for that was too short. And in the way that I think it's too short is I wish there was more of that world building in the middle of like, I could watch like another hour of just the, them going through the guidebook and then going in and out of the waiting room and talking to Juno and figuring out the world and things like that. Like I would watch that forever. Like it's great. Um, my other one is uh, Poutine in that it's like a guilty pleasure movie. Because, yeah, there's a lot of things that are just, it's very of a time period. And, but I love it. Like, I love the world building. I, in a weird way, like how terrible and over the top Michael Keaton is because he is the villain. And I, he's just, everyone reacts on screen when he shows up the same way we as the audience react. Everyone just kind of recoils. And I like it. I love it. It makes me happy. (laughs) Well, you can't beat that. Uh, Let's go on to our second scale, which is a rewatchability scale, a scale from zero to 10, telling you whether or not you should go back and watch this film. Uh, So listening to you guys rate your potatoes, like I was already kind of middle of the road with this one, uh, simply because I, I think we came to the consensus that like not a lot happens in this film. It's more of like an experience or like, a certain tone of movie. So I would not go back and watch it because there's there's not much story there. Not the characters don't really change. They really go through an experience and like the otherworldly nature is really interesting and I want to see more of that. Uh so like I would put this on in the background of a movie as opposed to sitting down and watching it. Uh and like Mark said, I would probably wouldn't watch it every year. It'd be like every few years maybe. So when that comes to like the point scale, I think it's around maybe a six and a half. So that is my rating. Mark, what do you have? So and I've said this before sometimes with like on the ratings where it's more based on if you have not seen it before than mm. I would say to see it. I wonder if we need two different scales for like if you haven't seen it, yes, go watch it. If you have seen it before, maybe you don't need to again. But well, you explained Mark, it here, so it works. We we yeah. don't quite record our scales currently. Adding <sighs> another one that we don't record is probably not what we want to do. Yeah, true. We have to I, get I think, uh, though, I mean, as you pointed out, we already kind of went through this in the potato scale, but I, I would be about the same place as you, just that I enjoyed watching it now just, just to watch it and see some of the things that I remembered from being a kid, but I didn't enjoy it enough that I would watch it a lot. Uh, maybe not even every few years and Sarah's making faces because I'm sure she's going to disagree with us but <laughs> but I I think it's it's fun and kooky but you have to be in the right mood and it's just I would probably say six I am the odd one out on this one because mm-hmm. I really like this movie this is this is the sort of movie that reminds me why I was such a big Tim Burton fan and I would I would watch it every year. If it's on those one of those TV channels, 13 Days of Halloween, I would probably watch it again in this year already. Um, but I will only give it an eight and a half because like with Adam's family, 
It is not my favorite Tim Burton movie. It's maybe third on the list, and so that bumps it down. But like an eight and a half, I think if if that's the sort of weird, creative, out there movies you like, if you like things like Edward Scissorhands or Mirror Mask or any of those sorts of movies, you have to watch this if you haven't. And for for those sort of people where that's that's their thing, I which for me it is. Rewatching it every year is not a problem. It's great. I love it. So eight and a half. All right, you were bringing me to my one of the notes I forgot to get to in long form. How close is Lydia to like a young Sarah? Would you say that's <laughs> along the same lines of who you were? I did not go through a goth phase. Okay, but like I wanted uh, to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's where she's that. writing the note about jumping in the river. And she, I did not write any notes like that, but I did write probably at that age some really really <laughs> terrible poetry about everyone hates me and i'm alone in the world so in some ways yes that was me i was the person who was like i want to be different and you don't understand me and all of these people at my school are so normal and they don't <laughs> get it i just i was very blonde in like mid at that age and so i didn't think i could really pull off the goth thing and I like you can always dye your hair, especially when it's true. Oh no, no, I was not allowed to dye my hair black because <laughs> I tried to do it once. <laughs> so... I also attempted to shave my head once, and I was not allowed to do that either. Uh... I don't know. It works out well for some people. <laughs> I have anyway. probably a lot of scars on my head that would probably appear if I shaved my head, and I'm scared it's a bad shape. Uh, but yeah, so Lydia, we did have some similarities. I I thought as much. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna close it out. Sarah, can you tell people where they can find us online if they choose to do so? Yes, I can. You can find us on Facebook at Retrograding Podcast. You can find each other on Facebook at Retrograding Party Line. You can find us at our website, which is retrograding.fireside.fm. And you can also just find us on iTunes. Just search for Retrograding. Um, give us a like. Give us a share either on Facebook, iTunes, whatever. It really helps us out. Tell your friends. Get us some new listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, let us know what you're enjoying. Just give us some feedback. We love it. We normally yeah. respond pretty quick. Yeah, so if you're looking a way to participate with the show, one of the things we've started doing rather recently for like our past couple episodes is leading up to an episode's release, Sarah's going to post trivia where you can try to guess uh, what the next film is going to be. So share those around. It's an easy way to get new listeners. Everyone likes to try to answer questions. Uh, Also, if you are part of our Retrograding Party Line group, you can participate in polls to vote on your favorite taglines. Gives us nice feedback to see if they were funny to you the same way that they were funny to us. Uh, You can't share those quite yet, though I am going to try to figure out a way. Again, Facebook is dumb in this regard. We're we're old people. We're we're trying. We're trying so hard at the social media thing. Carl, (laughs) would you like to share with us about our music? I sure would. I, I was getting to it. I did remember. Okay. Uh, but our music is done by Dominique Barnes. You can find her at Dominique A. Barnes on SoundCloud if you'd like to like or know more about it. Uh, so that is going to finish us off here, bringing us to our final segment, which is, guys, I learned something today. So now there is a very specific scene where this lesson comes from. Uh, it's a scene that we've brought up a lot where Lydia is writing out a, a note 
before she goes on to kill herself. Uh, the, the problem I have where it took umbrage here is that she scribbled something out. So the lesson is simply do not scribble out errors on your suicide note. Take the time to get it right. This is your last <laughs> thing you're going to do. We're going to get in so much trouble. <laughs> Uh, all in jest, please do not kill yourself. There's plenty of hotlines you can call if you are thinking about it. Let's just throw that also, in Also, don't write terrible poetry. Yes. Though, Sarah, you should find some and share with the group. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that is going to close this out episode out. Uh, see you guys in the next one. Bye-bye. <laughs>